Hi, this is Nikki Belmonte, the new executive director of the American Birding Association, and I'm so excited to be this organization's new leader. I look forward to growing our community and inviting people from all walks of life to enjoy and protect wild birds. Today, I'm asking you to support our nesting season appeal and help us inspire our youth to discover the joy of birding and the beauty of nature. You can donate online at aba.org slash appeal or call us at 800-850-2473. Thank you for your support. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. Well, quasi-host this time. I'll explain. Uh, Last week was the third incarnation of Black Birders Week. Another phenomenal showing from the Black AF and STEM folks who were no doubt excited that this is the first year since the beginning of the effort that they could actually have in-person events. Had a few of those, bird walks, panel discussions, and the like. But as has been the case since the beginning, a lot of the action has been online. And this year, the ABA was excited to be able to host one of those online forums. Uh, A two-part panel called Embracing the Beauty Within. Both parts can be found on the ABA website currently, but you know, an additional way to get that message out. I'm turning this episode of the American Birding Podcast over to Black Birders Week, and we're going to share some of the highlights of those discussions right here in podcast form. If you want to watch the whole thing, and I'd I'd certainly encourage that, the link is going to be in the show notes. Do check it out. But I hope you at least get a good sense of what was going on by what we share here. So without any additional extra prelude, I turn this episode over to panel hosts Chelsea Connor and Sheridan Alford, who are joined by Alex Troutman, Scott Edwards, Sharon Scott, and friend of the podcast, recent guest, Danielle Bellany. No rare birds this week. We'll catch up next time. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Today is As the Crow Flies. Uh, for Blackbirders Week, and we will be discussing the paths paved and relationships different cultures across the diaspora have with birds and how that has shaped your birding journey. So this entire day is about birding and bird culture across the African diaspora, and we have some great guests here to lead one of those conversations. So um, I'm going to introduce my co-host, uh, Sheridan Sheridan is the owner of Beanie Jean LLC and an environmental educator with a recently completed master's of natural resources in parks, recreation, and tourism management from the University of Georgia. Her fieldwork has taken her across the American South and led to work with PBS Nature, Oboe's Footwear, and others to enhance the minority experience within the outdoors. Sheridan's focus includes citizen science, youth involvement, and the benefits of ecotherapy. She has a review of Owls of the Eastern Ice that came out in August 2021 in Birding. Sheridan, what are the birds at the top of your life list? Um, I think right now, Chelsea, the top bird on my life list might be the, um, the bird mascot for this year's Black Birders Week, um, which is the Black Heron. I think they have such a cool... Um, mechanism of fishing and you know I I just would love to witness that Um, and thank you for the introduction so my co-host Chelsea Connor um, growing up in the Caribbean was a constantly formative experience for Chelsea as she got to see and learn a wide range of unique biodiversity she especially felt a connection with the birds and lizards on her own island of Dominica currently a graduate student her love of nature has taken her on a journey she never expected And above it all, she is focused on sharing with that with others. She has a forthcoming review of Flights of Passage in the June 2022 birding issue. And Chelsea, what is on the top of your life list? Well, I would have to say that any bird of paradise (laughs) is at the top of my life list. I have loved them for so long. I remember reading about them in the library when I was in primary school. I need to see them. Also, I've added the black heron as well. Let's go ahead and introduce our guests. Um, First, we have Sharon Denise Scott. Um, Sharon was born in Thomas County, Georgia, and lives in Tallahassee, Florida with her husband. She enjoys writing, birding, and traveling. 
Sharon was a program chair of the former Tri-State Avian Society and worked with the public on the care of exotic species. She gained extensive knowledge of parrots and birds of prey during her tenure. She has a forthcoming feature article on osprey migration to appear in the August 22 birding edition. Sharon, what birds are at the top of your life list? Um, I did a lot of work with Tri-State Avian Society, basically. So I would have to say canaries <laughs> because uh, I've also kept a lot of exotic species. I've kept um, everything from a cockatiel to uh, lovebirds to mustache parakeets, but the canaries would definitely be my um, passion. And so um, the peregrine falcon, which is a bird of prey, and also a Mississippi kite. I had the opportunity uh, to see this bird um, when I put on a, a, a program for our, one of our monthly meetings for Tri-State Avian Society. I brought in Sandy Beck, who uh, works here in Tallahassee. Um, she's a wildlife re uh, rehabilitator, basically. So she brought the bird and she had some mealworms. So we all got a chance to basically encounter this uh, bird. And um, it was just a wonderful experience. But I have uh, had hands on with the red cockaded woodpecker. I've held the bird in my hand because I wrote an article on the red cockaded woodpecker and their ecosystems with the longleaf pine. So I'm kind of just all over the place. Lovely. Thank you, Sharon. Um, so our next panelist here is Scott B. Edwards. He is a professor of organismic and evolutionary biology at Harvard University and curator of ornithology and Alexander Agassi, professor of zoology at the Museum of Comparative Zoology. Scott teaches ornithology and evolutionary biology, and he enjoys introducing his students to the wonders of birds in the field, in museum collections, and in the classroom. He has a review of the Peterson Reference Guide to Bird Behavior um, that came out in the May 2021 birding issue. And Scott, what is your, at the top of your life or list currently? Wow, that's, that's a tough question. Thank you for that <laughs> nice introduction. Uh, I, you know, I, um, Let's see. Uh, I would love to see some of the uh, less familiar warblers we have here in the U.S. Things like uh, morning warbler or Connecticut warbler or uh, Swainson's warbler. These are things that I just have not had a chance to see. And so um, I suppose those are on my life list. Yeah. I love a good warbler. That's a really good list. <laughs> Um, our next panelist is Alex Troutman. Alex Troutman is a fish and wildlife biologist and environmental educator with a passion for sharing and immersing the younger generation into nature. He has a bachelor's degree from Georgia Southern University and a master's degree in conservation biology from GSU as well. Knowing what it feels like to not see anybody who looks like you doing the things you enjoy, Alex makes it a point to be that representation for the younger generation. Alex is one of the co-organizers for several Black in X weeks, including Black Birders Week, Black Monologists Week, Black in Marine Science. A movement encouraging diversity in nature, celebration of Black individual scientists, and increasing awareness of Black nature enthusiasts and diversity in STEM fields. He has a forthcoming review of Bird Brother and has a review of How Birds Work that was published in the May 2021 um, issue of Birding. So what is at the top of your life list, Alex? Yeah, so there's two birds there. Oh a bird and a group of birds that are at the top of my list. So the first bird is the stellar jay. I love the colors black and blue. Um, so I really want to go out west and see that bird this year. And then eventually, hopefully in my lifetime, I would love to see some penguins um, down in Antarctica. And I hope you get to see them too. Penguins are such amazing birds. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you, panelists. So today's event is titled Blackbirders Embracing the Beauty Thereof. And so the following questions are going to be a little expose on how you all have experienced the culture, past, present, and future. Um, so our first question is, um, 
was your childhood shaped by birds or birding in any way, whether that be culturally, um, outdoor experiences? Um, and how has that translated into adulthood for you? I can go first. Um, yes, as I stated, you know, growing up in Thomasville, I spent a lot of time in the country, uh, which is like a place, Patton, Georgia. Um, so being out in the country a lot, you get to see a lot of animals. Uh, I had, I would always see the Cooper's hawk, which is indigenous area. Um, I would watch them sometimes as they soar and scoop down and just seeing beauty, like the painted bunton, which is a, oh my goodness, a gorgeous little bird in the cardinal family. So I would see these birds and I would see them and I began to, as I grew up, just understanding their ecosystem and how important they are. And then I start thinking that out of all the animals we have, we have fishes who rule the underworld, but avian, there's more, um, birds than there are any other type of animal with, with the exception of fishes of course so I said there had to be a reason for this and so it just my learning and appreciation just grew um, even without anybody encouraging me in that direction and so I did want to point this out you don't really we look at birds and we think well there's no one out there that looks like me basically so where do I fit in and even when I was a member of Tri-State Avian Society I was the only woman of color in that group. It was a lot of older Europeans, basically, but I never did. And I worked with that organization for many, many years. We traveled together. We we put on bird fairs. Oh, it was beautiful. But I never looked at myself as being any different from them. And of course, there was sometimes people would come up to me and question me, well, how did you get involved in this? Where did your passion come from? And so basically, to be honest, it's in all of us. It's just up to that individual person as to whether we're going to embrace it or not. Alex? Yes, for me, um, I kind of always had a connection with nature. My family used to go fishing a lot. Uh, if we weren't at a sporting event, we were fishing. Uh, and for me, like, that's where I actually saw my first, um, like, spark bird, um, the red tail hawk. I mean, times where I was fishing, I would see the red tail hawk, like, flying over. And then, like, yep. I would get a glare of the sun through the actual red tail <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then other times, like, our fishing, there would be great blue herons that would be, like, right across from us catching fish while I'm over here just looking at my bobbler doing nothing, you know, catching a lot of fish. So those were are two birds that kind of got me into birding, um, but it wasn't actually until um, college where I actually started um, studying and really looking at birds. Like, I always had an appreciation but I never actually went out looking for them until I took a ornithology class in undergrad. Um, that's when I kind of made the decision to actually start actively looking for birds instead of like passively enjoying them. That's really great. I'll, I'll, I'll chime in a bit. Um, it's so exciting to hear your stories and uh, Alex's story about taking ornithology. That's, I know that's always a transformative uh, experience. Um, I grew up in Riverdale, New York. It's part of the Bronx, but it actually had quite a bit of trees uh, back in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up there. And, um, you know, in college, I was uh, kind of my my dad was a doctor and I was sort of like, well, I guess I'll become a doctor. But then I um, at some point I just sort of said, well, I should really do what I love to do. And, um, you know, I'd always I'd been birding since, you know, my youth, really, since I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And at some point, I just said, well, I want to, I want to make this a career. And so, um, and I'm lucky, I, I feel lucky that I embraced what I was uh, interested in, because that's the best way I think to be to be happy and feel satisfied. And now I'm able to teach ornithology and do research on birds. And that's super exciting because uh, I get to turn on young folks to uh, the amazing things that birds do. So it's a lot of fun. These are all great answers. And um, I definitely um, relates to what a lot of you said that, you know, you just kind of had that connection already. You just like you felt it because that's um, uh, like Sheridan mentioned earlier in my introduction. That's how it was for me, too. I would just be like running around and like, what is this? What is that? I have so many questions. Uh, but also on my island, we have a lot of folklore that 
revolves around the animals, um, including birds. And that is something that has always helped connect me as well. And something that I try to, to look up a lot. So what is one generational impact or understanding that you all would like to see passed down um, from your current birding experiences? Um, for me, I like to see pass down that birding in nature is is for everyone. Um, there's a lot of sayings like black people don't do this or like I'm afraid to do this because I'm black. But in uh, like in actuality, black people do a lot of things. Some of the first actual like natural um, national park protectors and overseers were the Buffalo Soldiers. So we have had a huge like history of being in national parks, been in nature um, as black individuals. So I wanted to change that uh, preconceived notion that black people are not into the outdoors and we don't do nature because we um, do it and we are actually doing it very well. So I, I just want to uh, continue um, passion for black people to uh, be in nature and have a love for birds. And Alex, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, that's one thing, um, cultural, I call it, it's a term I use and I call it cultural bondage. Cultural bondage is when, as you stated, you look at yourself basically and you, you separate yourself. It's not people doing it um, to you, basically, but you pull yourself away because your culture, you, th you think in your own mind that my culture doesn't do this, but they culture do it. They're, this culture does it, but it's not for me. So that's kind of the mindset and how we even get into even having this conversation for the most part, because we look at the beautiful birds and we see what everybody else see. And we're no different from anybody else. We're all human. Birds, they're birds, we're humans, and we appreciate their beauty. That's why I sent the title, People of Color Embracing the Beauty Thereof. But there's been so many misconceptions, and a lot of it is just passed down from one generation to the next generation, and nobody's there to basically explain to their children, no, this is for everybody. Everybody can go to the Grand Canyon. Everybody can go to Yellowstone. We don't have to do these things. And I had a conversation about this, what we're talking about. And he was a man of color and he said it. He said, it's not that they're doing it. He said they separate themselves because they think that's just something they do. So if we can look at ourselves as individuals. And that's how I look at Sharon. I don't define myself by a culture. I define myself as who I really am. And because I don't do that, then I don't have constraints. And I can embrace anything that I feel like I want to embrace. And I don't have to worry about what people are going to say or feel about me. I, th I think that's a really good point. And uh, I would love to see, yeah, just like you guys have been saying, I'd love to see more people of color just embracing the outdoors, getting outdoors, enjoying birding. And, you know, the fact is when we're birding with other folks, I mean, often we're, you know, the only the only one in that yeah. group, right? We're the only yeah. black person, the only person of color. Um, and, you know, often the lots of parts of this country, you know, you mentioned the Grand Canyon, Sharon. Well, you know, there's a, there's not many African-Americans in uh, some parts of the country. And so, but some of the most beautiful parts of the country, I would say. And so, you know, we need to figure out how to navigate those spaces where, you know, we're really not very uh, present in the communities there. Um, but, you know, just like Alex was saying, we actually, uh, Black folks have a very, very strong history of exploring this country. I think, for example, of Esteban, who is this uh, African uh, who accompanied Coronado on his expedition across the U.S. back in the 1500s. And I think about uh, York. York was the slave, you know, that went on the Lewis and Clark expedition that went, walked all the way from, you know, and canoed all the way from St. Louis to the West Coast. So, you know, Black folks, they're explorers, they're out there. And so I think we have to remind ourselves that we have a very proud history of exploration in this country and enjoying the outdoors and nature. And we have to keep that going. Thank you so much for those amazing answers. Sheridan, did you have anything to add? My only addition, I always say Black people are 
are the originators of outdoors. <laughs> so anytime someone feels as though they um, don't belong or quote unquote, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. We are the originals of, of, of yes. doing that. Quote unquote. So, yes. Yeah. And um, on, on my Island, it's very common for people to just go take a walk, hang out by the river on the weekend. That is just like a, a normal thing that we do. Um, extending yeah. it into like, you know, like studying animals is not as common, but like being outside and being connected with nature is definitely um, a really big thing. And um, seeing the, the juxtaposition of the culture there and the culture here has definitely been uh, very interesting for me. And I hope that it can change. I was just going to quick add to that. You know, I think it's really important that Black folks just get into all aspects of birding, uh, you know, not only just for recreation, that's super important, but I would love to see more uh, Black folks actually think of birding as a career, you know. Uh, I can tell you, as an academic studying birds, there are not many people of color in my field, and I've spent a lot of my career trying to get more people of color to you know, think about making birds uh, or or environmental science uh, a career, um, you know, that might mean getting a master's degree or maybe even a PhD. But I want people to know that it can be done. You can do it if that's what you want to do. There are lots of opportunities. Doesn't You don't need money to do it. They'll pay you to do it. And get in touch with me if you want to study birds, because uh, there's a lot of opportunities. And I think People of color have a lot to contribute to uh, to ornithology mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, we definitely do. And um, having a lot of different people at a table gives you lots of different points of view because we all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses, and we all have like grown up differently. So our experiences definitely shape how we view something and what it means to us. So having those voices at the table is also really important amazing stories and we kind of got a look into the different sides of culture and how black people interact with the outdoors how black people interact with birds um so lastly we just want to allow all of you to kind of plug yourselves whatever you would like to tell the people promote um, where they can find you well i just want to say again i'm a huge fan of black birds week and you know i joined twitter basically to be in touch with Black Birders Week. I mean, Yay. I don't think I don't think I'd be on Twitter if it weren't for Black Birders Week because it's a great way to meet new young folks doing all kinds of, of crazy stuff. And uh, yeah, I just I think it's super important this message. It's really important to get out get outdoors and just uh, you know do what makes you happy. Get out there, observe birds. Don't let the dominant culture tell you what you want to be. And, uh, you know, if you want to make uh, birds a career, that's possible, too. There's all kinds of doors open. And uh, thank you for putting this on. It's super exciting. Yeah. Oh, I'm a member of the Audubon here in Tallahassee. Um, Once I left, uh, we closed down Tri-State Avian. I've been a member of Audubon. So we do a lot here. We haven't been doing a lot for the last three years, but uh, we have group meetings. I get to, we go out to Wakulla. We have the Butterfly Monarch Day. We get together. I get, I love to go to the meetings to hear speakers, learning about different species. Um, Actually here in Tallahassee, we put on a program here, I think about uh, a couple of years ago where we brought in children um, and we uh, took them to Lake Alberta and we was showing them uh, different aspects of birding, uh, what they can do, showing them um, how birds take seeds, how they disperse seeds. We had a lot of flowers there. So we do do a lot of things here in Tallahassee and Audubon Society. I really love the Audubon. I would encourage everybody to, if they have an Audubon in the area, you can always tap in to get a lot of information. While Wildlife agencies, like I said, we have St. Francis Wildlife here. We have Sandy Beck, who is, uh, we I get these uh, uh, newsletters. They're always rescuing eagles. We, you know, the spring migration, they feed the birds. You can go, you can volunteer. So it's just a lot of information out there. And as Scott said, this also can be looked at as a career because there is a lot of people lacking in um, ornithology. Yes. Um, so I'm Alex. Um, you can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at nature underscore Al. And that's nature in a T 
T-U-R-E underscore A-L. Um, and yeah, I'm a fish and wildlife biologist and I'm always open. My inbox is always open for anybody that wants to um, connect, talk about birds or any other wildlife. Um, even um, just being black in nature, uh, my inbox is open. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, continued um, weeks of Black Birders Week um, and engaging the next generation of um, Black scientists, Black outdoor enthusiasts. Awesome. Um, I'll go ahead and do my own and then toast the and close us out. Um, you all can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the things um, on at Beanie Jean. Uh, or you can just search my name. It's also fine. But um, yeah, just out here promoting um, Black people outdoors and Black people in birding, um, specifically through mental health. And I would love to connect with anybody that um, would be interested in that. And you can find me on Twitter at Chelsea Herps. Um, you can also look up my red bubble at that name. I am an artist and I design a lot of stickers. Um, you will find that they are lizard based because I am technically academically a herpetologist. <laughs> but I do still love birds and birds are like technically reptiles. So it works out. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at out to Chelsea um unfortunately it's not the same I'm so sorry I have two different handles um and I have a link tree on both of my social media profiles so you can just easily look for any other thing that I'm on um before we close out I just want to have a, give a big thank you to the American Birding Association and Frank for um hosting this panel and inviting us thank you so much thanks guys all right second panelist today we have Danielle Bellany she is a wildlife biologist and science communicator with Plateau Land and Wildlife Management based near Austin, Texas. Danielle is also known as the cemetery birder because she frequents cemeteries for outdoor recreation while advocating for destigmatizing death and providing training in grief practices. Danielle has um, feature articles on birding in cemeteries in March 2022's issue of birding. Um, she has a previous review of parking lot birding in the March 2021 edition and an interview um, about Black Birders Week in the Black AF and STEM Collective in the August 2020 birding edition. So, Danielle, um, what's, what's on the top of your life or list? Today oh, man. Um, so best bird that I've seen uh, personally, I think, is a Harlequin duck. And one that I would like to really see staying on, on brand with the weird duck season um, is a long-tailed duck. It's very I cute. always think that I've like, I've seen all of the weird ducks out there. And then I learned that there's more weird ducks. There's always more. Um, something that uh, Danielle forgot to mention is that she is now a published author. Um, if you yes. love birds, then you need, this is a book for people who love birds <laughs> by right. Danielle Bellany. So I think with that, we're ready to dive into some questions. Um, so first on our cultural expose here, um, what were some of the childhood experiences that were either shaped by birds or involved birding? Um, and how has they translated to your adult lives? I'll go ahead and take that one. Um, so I guess as a child, you know, birding itself wasn't really something that I focused towards. In general, I had a love for all of nature. And that was definitely um, cultivated, um, that love for nature was definitely cultivated by my grandparents. Um, and they have some a farmland kind of near Austin area. And I would just hang out there in the summers and they would show me all the cool things um, around their property. And of course, it came with some knowledge about birds and stuff. So um, pursuing the love that they instilled in me of the land, um, that's kind of how I got into birding. Um, and eventually, I, I actually became a birder. Um, but yeah, the, the love for nature itself definitely started uh, back then with them. Yeah, for me as well, it started at a young age. Um, my family went fishing and um, I, I played sports. And many times I was actually distracted by nature, like looking at ant hills while I was in outfield of baseball games or watching birds fly over. And then a ball is flying and I watch it soar over my head as well and have to hurry up and run back to the fence to get it. Um, so many times I was distracted by birds and nature as a kid. And then that eventually turned into me being distracted by nature and going to a career as a 
fish and wildlife biologist with the U.S. Uh, fish and Wildlife Service. Um, so that kind of the nature kind of just scoped my career and a love for nature that I get to do and be passionate about as a career now. Chelsea, um, what is your experience? Yeah, um, I definitely um, also had that like upbringing of my grand, my grandmother um, feeding birds in her house. Um, I actually mean like in her house, they'd come in and she'd be like, all right, I'll put sugar out for you. <laughs> um, otherwise, they would steal it themselves. So she didn't. So <laughs> she also didn't have a choice. <laughs> um but my uh, my family also like gardens. Like my mom um, always had something growing, um, and then we would every now and then, like once a week, we'd go over to like this other plot of land where they had a lot of other things growing. We'd have chickens. I had a turkey of my own at one point. I miss him. <laughs> but like just those little ways of getting into nature and. Um, I'm from the Caribbean, so we also just go outside. We just we hang out at the beach or we hang out at a river um, or like we go on hikes. We just go on hikes uh, for every like school field trip in primary school. We went to um, these ruins and there's forest all through there. And you can see um, you can see the racers, tiny stakes that are really <laughs> fast, just like darting through yeah. the rocks. There's lots of um, hermit crabs. So the culture was just like, yeah, we we go outside and we enjoy being outside in different ways. And being outside exposed me to a lot of like animals and plants that I was like, what are those? What is this called? And it's called different things in Creole. And I have to like look it up online to find more information. So I have to describe them because I don't know what they're called in English. So it's just yeah. like um, having that chance to embrace being outside just pushed me further. What Definitely. about you, Sheridan? Yeah. Um I think I would definitely attribute a lot of my childhood experiences outdoors um, to my mom, for sure. I was definitely the quiet kid, probably inside, probably drawing or have a book or something. Um, so my relationship with the outdoors wasn't like sports based, like a lot of my friends or, you know, it wasn't rooted in something. And so every time we would go um, on a vacation or during the weekend, my mom would be like, all right, get your stuff. We're going on a hike. Um, and so that really molded. Um, how I interacted with the outdoors, which was always a very like family oriented, peaceful walk. Like, oh, look at this. Let's look at these trees. Let's see what's in the stream today. Um, and then translating that into my adult life, it definitely kind of bleeds into the next question of how I how I view um, the lands that we have. My a lot of my family is from a lot of at least my mom's side is from um, Austin area, rural Austin area. We're able to trace our family back, you know, quite a few generations. And um, historically, we're farmers and agriculturalists. And uh, so seeing how historically my family has used the land, um, it it lets me, it, I, I basically was raised to also be a land steward and know how to I guess the best ways to protect the land. Um, and growing up, I didn't really realize that I could be professional at, you know, helping take care of the land. Um, so growing up and knowing the importance of having um, a healthy soil, healthy grassland, healthy woodlands, um, that, you know, that information that I learned was instilled in me. And I'm able to recall those moments um, of my childhood of learning, you know, when certain seasons bring certain things. Um, and yeah, so I kind of innately have this history and this um, ability to um, help take care of the property that is in my family still. Um, so I guess now that I'm a professional and able to, I guess, use technical words and technical jargon to specifically help people manage their, their, their family lands also um, and help them, you know, encourage wildlife to be pro prolific on their properties. Um, it's, it's really exciting. And I can see the spark of, um, you know, conservation minded um, actions the, based on what I'm telling them on how to help their land um, is, you know, being instilled into them and then eventually into their children. So, um, you know, just continuing the cycle of this is a good way to help your area and help the wildlife that are in it. And um, yeah, keep it in the generation or keeping the family for generations to come. Yeah, for me, I um, I grew up in a mostly urban area that um, at one time it was um, rural and full of trees, but as the population um, as a nearby city has grown, um, my area has become more um, city-like and urban. 
So like growing up, um, there was always trees and uh, creeks around um, that now those trees are now buildings and roads. Um, so I have got the chance to watch it change from an area that was heavily forested to now being a, a concrete jungle. Um, and now as a biologist myself, I know how those changes has affected the population of not only birds, but other animals that um, has been in the area either negatively or um, also increased the population. So now there's more maybe deer and coyote interactions. Whereas when I was younger, there wasn't really um, uh, interaction with these species, but because there's less of a habitat, um, we are seeing more of these species in our communities. Um, so as a biologist, I understand um, the conflict that we have and ways to deal with it. And so my um, goal as not only a biologist, but also as someone who's passionate um, by nature and uh, enthusiast is to um, explain what is happening and ways that we can kind of coexist uh, with these species um, that we are, are so used to being like uh, out of sight, kind of out of mind. Like they've always been here, but now that there's less habitat there, we're interacting and coming closer in contact with them more. Um, so I've been able to share that passion and explain why we are seeing these um, more and more sightings or more and more animals are getting hit by cars um, to my um, community. Those those moments growing up are definitely like super impactful and we don't always like realize right away how they're going to be impactful. Um, sometimes I'll be doing something. I'll remember something that happened when I was a child. Um, like I went to the grocery store. And I'm like, yeah, I've my basil is sprouting. I don't need to buy basil. <laughs> and, I, and I like told my mom and she's like, yeah, I like, yeah, I haven't grown basil in a while. And I was like, ah, that's where I got it from. Like she is always growing vegetables and herbs and everything. And definitely is like, I've been getting more and more into foraging. Um, and I didn't realize right away that like I used to do that back home, but like we didn't even like call it foraging because we, like, we didn't have a word for it. Just like, yeah, I'm just going to go get some mangoes because <laughs> they just grow mm -hmm. out there. So we just like go get things, just go find um, things you can you can eat. And um, it's like a full circle moment for me. <laughs> what about you, Sheridan? Yeah, uh, I think it kind of like ties into um, my previous answer about not only how my family used lands like parks or um, state parks, Grand Canyon level, you know, like Latin national parks. Um, I think it's also the attitudes and the cultures towards these areas um historically as long as they were created um african americans were often excluded from a lot of these things um so making it a point to visit them use the land that is now available to us um, but not only use it to also understand it um, has been really important in kind of shaping uh, my understanding of the land used um, and I definitely use now and my adult life birding as my way of still motivating me to get out there and you know go learn something new go to a place I haven't been before um, or a, a new birding spot based on eBird or something like that um, so making sure to actually utilize the the land that we now have access to I think is really important I and mean, something I try to really hone in on um, and also teach to others um, who often are still kind of stuck in the, in the black people don't go outside. We're out here. We're definitely out here um, and we will continue to be, and we are welcomed. So our next question involves um, a little bit of a, a generational impact. So the question is, what is one or two generational understandings um, that you would like to see passed on from your birding experiences? Um, for me, I would like to say that um, birding, it's, it's for everyone. Um, it's like for me, birds are more accessible than most like um, hobbies. Um, like you don't have to go underwater to see a bird. You can literally look out your window no matter where you are. You're going to see some type of bird if it's in the city. Uh, it could be something cool like uh, a peregrine falcon, or it could be something like 
house sparrows or pigeons that are still cool, uh, even in their own way. I really love pigeons. Um, they speak to like resiliency. Um, they you can find them in the city or in the, in the country area. And then they also I love their colors. But I just want everyone to know like you don't really need supplies to go burning. Um, so that also makes it accessible. You can just look out your window, look out their car. Um, you can just go and bird and see this fly. And for me, I like um, birding um, just because it speaks to my mental health. Um, it allows you to get outside, but also um, birds there it, with me looking at them. It, they give me some, I guess, like kind of life lessons. Like um, when they, before they take off, a lot of times they, they will um, drop their excess weight by a pooping. So let go. Um, things that are going to hold you down um, and then you can take off in your own wing with your own power when they um, fly um, so that's one thing I hope to um, pass down is um, birding um, it's accessible it's um, a way to kind of deal with your mental health but also um, birds they provide life lessons uh, if we just take the time to look at them Yeah. And as for me, I would hope um, that I pass on to future generations that the knowledge that having the birds that we do have on um, in the places that we live is a luxury and that it's not always going to be like this, um, especially as climate change um, is a, and land use change is um is is removing habitats from these birds. We're going to see less and less, especially um, in in the area that I live. There's a lot of grasslands, and grassland birds are, I mean, they're seriously declining right now. So I just want to pass on the importance of having these birds and conserving what we can for them. Um, but also that, um, yeah, that these birds also bring joy. They bring hope. They bring liberation. Um, so I, I also want to pass down, I guess, traditional aspects and um, ideas of what birds can mean to us. Birds can mean um, just in general, the ability for them to take up on their wings and fly away, fly away from their problems to somewhere else is just really inspirational. So um, yeah, passing down those ideas of what birds can mean and how important they are for um, ecosystem services and also just the fact that they're, they're intrinsic value. They, they have their own purpose to be here and their own value, their own right to be here. Something that I would really love to see passed on is uh, the understanding of acceptance as Black people um, enter the outdoors in professions. Um, I think I know I can speak for myself when I say like, I did not know that birding could be a job or a thing that someone would pay you um, to study or to, to explore. And so making it important and known to future generations that um, this is a viable field that, that you can be in and belong in. Um, and even, you know, even if it is just a hobby, it's something that is not weird or it's not like eccentric to to um, to want to be outside and enjoy it. Um, it's a very normal thing and everyone should do it more. Yeah, I think I think for me, um, a lot of what you're, you're, you've said already um, also resonates with me. But like as someone who also comes from a culture where we have um, folklore and like different names for for the birds that we have there. I definitely um, want to do my best to like promote that and then be able to pass that down um, because right now um, I'm not sure how much of that is being shared like I know that they it like previously was printed in a couple of, of bird guides we had um, but they're out of print right now so how is that information getting preserved and um, if I can do anything to do to help preserve that and be able to pass it down because this is important cultural information. So I, I would hope that I'm able to, you know, pres help preserve and pass it down for future generations like um, my, my possible kids. <laughs> um, since the first Black Birders Week, how have you seen the culture of birding change? Um, I would like to say um, there has been um, some changes, definitely. I feel like um, since the, Black, the first Black Bears Week, I have a, a, I guess, a larger connection um, to um, Black birders than, than I had before. Um, um, I, I now know more virtually, but also in person and have that network and camaraderie with so many other Black birders. And also, I feel like 
Uh, there's many more of us that are um, um, in the light. There's more representation of Black people birding um, through social media, through um, TV networks and magazines now that um, wasn't really there um, during the first Black Birders Week. And I also feel like that there are some outdoor companies that are making it on um, their mission. They're not just giving lip service to making their um, field or their um, their resources you know, inclusive. They're actually putting their um, words into action that they're going to make sure that what they're doing is more inclusive and opening for everyone and not just um, certain people. So I think Black Berkeley have definitely spurred uh, an outdoor movement to hold um, outdoor companies to a higher, a higher standard and accountable for what they say they're going to do. Uh, so those are some of the things that I think um, have happened um, because of Black Birders Week. Yeah, and I agree with Al. Um, Black, the first Black Birders Week definitely helped me gain connections to a whole bunch of Black Birders that I hadn't even met before, or I still haven't met very many of y'all. Um, just want to say you need to come to Texas. Just a little jealous that everybody else is meeting up places far away from me. Um, just putting that out there. But um, yeah, I'm really happy that other people have been able to meet each other. It just, y'all look so happy. That's why I'm kind of a little bit jealous and uh, want to just fellowship with y'all. Um, but, um, and also I agree with Al's second point that um, I, I do see more companies um, pushing to improve their inclusivity. Um, I would say on a personal point, I've definitely seen more opportunities handed my way from uh, non-Black birders, which I, I appreciate. Um, I really do. And I, I feel like I've also seen my um, colleagues, at least that I know virtually, um, have more opportunities presented towards them. And I just want to see that continuing more and more and more, um, just nothing but the best uh, opportunities given to us because we've had so many hurdles and so many barriers against us. Now we're finally able to flourish um, because of this movement that we started. So very happy that um, what happened from the first Blackbirders Week has um, come down to this. Uh, yeah. I. I don't know. I I I feel like um, I feel more comfortable, <laughs> you know, telling people that yeah, I go birding. Um, I'm, I'm I always get outside. Um, do you want to like go birding with me? Like, um, not just seeing more black birders. Like, more people are more aware that like birding is a really cool thing to do. So it's really easy to like. You're like, yeah. Have you heard? Have you even heard about birding? Um, and I I have gotten to meet a few other black birders, and it's always been a lot of fun. It's always so exciting. <laughs> to meet another black birder I was like you know a black naturalist in general as well and just like um get the chance to talk and talk about um what we we see like I got to um I got to visit Liverpool and I met some black birders there and like uh, you know they do wildlife photography and I wouldn't have gotten a chance to to do that if it wasn't for black birders week and being able to meet people like across across the pond <laughs> as they say who also are like really enthusiastic about this and heard about black birders and are so excited that we're, we're doing this and want to be a part of it is also just like we made something that is like bigger than like just us um and just like you know one week out of the year it's um you know it, it extends past that which is incredible and amazing Sheridan what about you yeah I think I would definitely um echo all the sentiments already stated um I do think that it's been great to see um black birders and black scientists in roles um, in these in larger organizations that aren't just there for the DEI coordinator, um, the diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, like we have so many other things that we like to do and um, so much more knowledge. I think it's great that, um, you know, I've seen people on Nat Geo. I've seen people writing books. I saw um, some people on the app store on Apple, like so many amazing things. It's, the reach is lovely. Um, and it's like, all I can do is smile, but it's definitely been great to also, um, just know that you're not the only one, even though, um, we are kind of sparse sometimes, you know, you find a community locally and, and, and you get going. And so I think Black Friday's week has been great, um, to kind of 
connect, um, if nothing else. Um, so with that being said, that concludes our questions portion. Um, again, before we get to our little outros, um, I definitely want to thank American Birding Association um, and the entire team for uh, allowing us the platform and wanting to partner with us for this event. So um, thanks for having me. I'm very appreciative to be included for this panel. Um, I have a couple of um, works out currently. I'm definitely read my articles of cemetery birding as mentioned earlier and uh, my book this is a book for people who love birds which if you're watching this that sounds like it's you um, please go ahead and purchase that you can find it just by googling the title but um, I'm sure my social media handle might be included in this and you can find it in the links that are in my bio um, I have another book that's in the works it's for your younger birders so stay tuned for 2023 for something new but yeah just putting out that i have some cool things coming up thank you i think that's that's our wrap up and you all have an amazing day and see <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much y'all the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits like our magazines, including all the archives, discounts to our partners, opportunities to travel with us. You can get information about all that at aba.org slash join. Executive Director of the ABA and Executive Producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who recent tweets about a curious neighborhood red-shouldered hawk suggest is truly embracing the beauty of within. Technical production is by John Lowry, who's waiting for Michigan to finally get its first record of brown booby so he can then chase the booby in, in Michigan. Mm. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who'd love it when researchers put those GPS trackers on threshes so they can really trace the very migration. Uh, you can find us online at aba.org on social media, most everywhere as American Birding Association, but on Twitter, we are at ABA. I am reminded of the time that I used to volunteer in the bird collections at the museum here and a researcher came in to look at all the pelagic birds and I had taken out the entire drawer of Annika prion turns and I actually returned it to the wrong place I put them over by the waterfowl and it took us forever to find them uh, it was a simple mistake but uh, I got into a lot of trouble because I had misplaced the sooty turn skins I feel like that was a long walk for not such great payoff but yeah Questions, comments can come to podcast.eba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Till next week. <laughs>